Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Requiem for the American Dream, Miles Ahead, The Dark Horse, 45 Years, and more. At the E-Bar on April 28th, see Ivory Hours, The Medicine Hat, and Commandeer. On April 29th, see The Human Rights, The Foundation Steppas, and DJ Nikki Dread. And on April 30th, it's the Guelph Pride Variety Show. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, Ontario. For more information about the Bookshelf's hours, listings, blogs, directions, accessibility, and to order books from their online store from anywhere in the world, please visit the newly designed Bookshelf. Once young boy he built a fort So call around his pals and come to play If there ain't enough room in there He gotta pick and choose For your own pleasure, a well-hidden treasure Pizza Chocadero We serve delicious gourmet pizza With daily made dough, homemade sauce And fresh toppings cut by hand Ask us for our 2-1 special. Pizza Chocadero, open weekdays till 9, weekends until 10. Located at 7 Municipal, north of College in Edinburgh. Proud to be an independent family-owned business. Call 519-829-2444 or visit chocadero.ca. Creative Control with Beach Comic. Hello and welcome to episode 251 of Creative Control. On this program, a conversation with Matthias Kamm and Ariel Sherratt of The Burning Hell, who are one of the best and smartest pop rock folk bands in the whole wide world. They currently consist of people from Peterborough, Ontario, St. John's, Newfoundland, and Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Those are just some of the places where Matthias and Ariel have lived and picked up people along the way, but they are a solid band. Their latest witty, outspoken, and reflective record is called Public Library. It's out now via a wonderful Canadian label called Headless Owl, and it's prompted the band to tour all over the place in the next little while. On a very recent Sunday, I caught up with Matthias and Ariel in Toronto to discuss various things, and that's what you're going to hear on this episode. It's us in conversation, talking about them, talking about the world, talking about nostalgia, and all sorts of other things as well. And you're going to hear a new song from Public Library, 
So that's the show. This is myself and the burning hell. and lattes on college college and bathurst snakes and lattes that's a clever title for a place what do you what would you suggest to people listening is the point of snakes and lattes well it's a games cafe games cafe games cafe right ariel can explain it board games board games specifically board games is that and is are these kinds of things popping up more and more and you guys are world travelers do you oh hello Oh, look at that. There's my cappuccino. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And I didn't I, even know you drank coffee. I didn't think you drank I know. Coffee. That's actually one of the first things I remember about us meeting. Thank you very much. That's great. Oh, and I got water? Yeah. We got some... We were just actually... Uh, I don't know if you want to participate uh, or... I can't because I'm under the union. You're, under, you're, on the, you're in the union? What is... That? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Actra. Oh, Actra. Yeah, oh, okay. Okay. Right. That's fine. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. We'd have to pay that guy just to, yeah. for his insight. He's an actor. Of course, um, he's an actor. Of course. Toronto. Toronto. Every, everyone's an actor. Uh, you and I, Matthias, uh, did a tour together across Canada. I was thinking about this on the way here. I have seen parts of the world that I would never have seen if it weren't for my meeting you and knowing you. Do you know this? Is that true? 
I think it is. I mean, I because you and Ariel and uh, some other people started the Lanya Vanya Festival in St. John's, Newfoundland. Right. That's the first time I ever got, and you urged me to come and MC and I don't know what else, cover it, I guess, for, yeah. for media purposes. Uh, I got to see St. John's, and now I just go every you year. You go every they, year. It's they've tradition. They've been very, very, yeah, they've been nice to keep inviting me. And then you and I and uh, Wax Mannequin did this cross-country tour, and I got to see, I mean, I'd been to most of the places we went to. We went, where'd we, we went to BC and back? Yeah, I went to BC and back, but I bet you'd never been to Bruno, Saskatchewan before. No, and I hadn't uh, been to, like, we did, of the 27 dates, 13 of them seemed to be in British Columbia. In Weimar, Weimar, British yeah. Columbia. I had never been there before. Oh, you hadn't either? No, gosh, no. And then all the islands, like, we seemed to be on boats yeah. and all sorts of stuff. And, and then we, uh, I believe we were all in Dawson City for That's the right. Dawson City Music Festival yeah, in the Yukon. 2010? Yeah, 2010. And, yeah. and, I mean, this wasn't necessarily your doing. But you invited me on stage to play with the Burning Hell. Yeah. And it seems weird that we were always in these... And would you have come to Snakes and Lattes this morning if it wasn't for Ariel and I Absolutely saying this is where not. we should meet? So Absolutely not. Here we are. But as I recall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we, we, we obviously knew each other pretty well before the tour yeah. with Chris, with Wax Mannequin. But at the same time, we're kind of getting to know each other. Yeah. We hadn't spent uh, time on the road or anything like that. And the very first practices we had were in Guelph. Yeah. And I think the very, after the, we were on our way to the very first one or something. And my recollection is you said to some, maybe to me, I'm going to go get a coffee. Do you want one? And I said, no, I don't drink coffee. Yeah. And then my understanding is you sent a panic stricken text message to our mutual friend, Jenny Mitchell, to say, what the hell? I'm going on tour with a guy and he doesn't drink coffee. I don't understand. Did Jenny tell you that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that part might be it. Might have not happened. Jenny doesn't exaggerate. <laughs> Jenny's view of the world is always clear. Yeah, crystal but my, clear. <laughs> my understanding is—is is that not you? Were you not surprised at the time that I, I did? I was surprised. Sure, I was surprised. I mean, you, you seem like the sort of person that drinks coffee. What does that mean? Because I'm high strung and anxiety ridden, have neuroses. Yeah. Now I'm feeling paranoid about no. that. <laughs> it seems like coffee would go naturally with you. With you know, what? My work? My know, profession? Your work, your profession, yeah. The huh. way you... <laughs> I had a thing. I, I, I had a thing for a long time, and it's come up on the show before, where I just... I refuse to have any crutches. Any yeah. conventional crutches. Yeah. Like, it's uh, like a straight-edge thing. I guess so, yeah. yeah. It stems from that. Yeah. just like, And, I mean, as we all know, coffee uh, is an acquired taste. Yeah. And but you've acquired it now. I'm looking at a cappuccino that you ordered. Uh-huh. So yeah. So what happened was I my my wife uh, uh, I impregnated my wife, <laughs> and then she uh, couldn't have coffee as much. She had to have like limited coffee, and she was just didn't have the energy to make. You're not supposed to have coffee, basically. Yeah. I think, uh, particularly when you're uh, trying to make. You the, have to be. She was straight edge at that point. At that point, she had to sort of drop off on yeah. the coffee. But then when I think when we had our son, I was. I was like, I don't know how to make, I, I, I want to help you. I want to make you coffee. How yeah. do you do it? She taught me how to do it. And then I kind of got addicted to the ritual of doing it. Stovetop coffee maker with yeah. the, the time we had a little uh, pot where we would, fr I would froth milk. Yeah. And, and it was just a nice routine. Yeah. I kind of developed the routine. And then I went to uh, Chicago. I know. I saw, I was going to say, I saw, I did see that, but I thought you were, you were drinking that. Steve Albini coffee as just like a, a, a one-off like that was that was, it was. Like, that was just a one-off yeah okay. it was, so yeah. yeah Steve Albini made me this Kopi Luwak coffee and my friend Colin Medley and I kind of made a little short film about yeah. him 
preparing this super fancy coffee and then I drank it on the in the special in the yeah. in the thing we made. It wasn't very special. <laughs> it was just like a short little <laughs> internet video. And then uh, again, the the ritual of making coffee and frothing the milk and making it all it's kind of cool. Like it's just kind of a neat invention that I'd never knew much about. So then I got addicted to that process almost. And then I started drinking it. Now, if I don't drink it every day, I get a horrible headache. Oh yeah. So I'm addicted to coffee. Yeah. And I don't know whose fault it is anymore. That's probably Steve Albini's. I guess it's probably Steve Albini's fault. Yeah. Yeah. But in any case, it's not uh, Michelle's fault. Uh, no, it's my fault for impregnating her. (laughs) I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, twice. Uh, anyway, yeah. So that's how we basically. That was one of your first impressions of me. Yeah. Was that I was a guy who never drank. This feels coffee. more normal. Like looking at you here with a cappuccino in front of you. That's that seems normal now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and and that and we're at a place called Snakes and Lattes. Ariel, you've been in Toronto for school uh, the last year or so. Yeah, that's right. Since September. And you live kind of around the corner. Just around the corner. So how often do you frequent this place? This is my first time, actually. Oh. Yeah, I just thought it would be quiet. <laughs> yeah, it seems relatively. Uh, doesn't seem like games are very popular in Toronto at the moment. Maybe not at eleven thirty in the morning, anyway. It's kind of interesting that we came to a place that I think is this melding of adult tastes and kids' tastes because you guys, in your writing of late, this is going to be an amazing segue, guys. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> well, I do think in your writing of late, there's we've talked about this. I think also off the record that. There's, no, no, I'm going to do it. Thank you. You're going to help me unwrap my muffin? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I know. Well, I got to hold it. Okay, go ahead. Do it. You can. You can. I just uh, thought I could. Be yeah, no, it's very nice of you. No, I don't think this is worth miking. Okay. It actually is worth miking. Yeah. You got a banana chocolate chip muffin with. Oh, you know what else? Okay. I want to get to. I'm going to finish my point here, which is that I think that you of late have been very reflective upon formative aspects of your teenage years and your childhood and yeah and and it's coming up more and more in your writing and and kind of revisiting those times as an adult but also those how i think those sentiments are still relevant to you today is that accurate more or less yeah yeah uh, that's that's is that pretty the bang on <laughs> i'd say <laughs> hit the nail on the head and so why we're both this uh, matthias and uh and I, we discovered on our trip, Ariel, that Matthias and Chris of Wax Mannequin and myself, all exactly the same age, more or less the same upbringings. Uh, we just discovered we were, it was weird, right? That was kind of weird. It was surprising. Yeah, yeah we were all yeah. exactly around around 38 or so. Uh, or at the time, we were whatever. We were like 20. Tw- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was six years ago. So yeah. So we were all around the same age. And, uh, and so we're all kind of going through the same things in some ways. I mean, we all do yeah. different things, but... We came of age at the same time and kind of relate to the world in sort of similar ways. So I can relate to what you're going through, but can you t- both talk about why you might be feeling reflective in this time? Is there something about this time that feels dissatisfying or scary or something? Oh, I think there's something about every time that feels dissatisfying and scary. Uh, but this time in particular is, is speaking first, not about myself, but I think about the times in general and like thinking about snakes and lattes and games cafes and all that kind of stuff. It seems like there is a turn now uh, towards uh, childhood again in popular culture in a way. With Think about like the, the you know endless revisions of every superhero franchise. 
Oh, and, yeah. yeah. You know, and games cafes popping up in places and, and, you know, comic books having a resurgence and or another moment or whatever. And it seems like, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's the millennials. I think it's like actually my generation um, that is more and more nostalgic for youth, which is understandable because of death. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Like, when you reach, like when you reach, reach a certain age, we're and kind then, of at middle age. We are, yeah. It's People, used, I think, used to say 50 was middle age, and, and you know, we are living longer, but I feel middle aged. Yeah, it's 38 is middle aged. Yeah, 40 yeah. 40 ish, you're kind of like 38, I would say. Is, <laughs> yeah, that's like that's the hill, that's the top of the hill. But Ariel, you're you're a little younger, Ariel's young, you're younger than us. Yeah, I'm 31. Thir- so, oh my god, so I'm I'm quite youthful. First of all, congratulations, Matthias. Second of all, <laughs> no, that's horrible. Uh, 31, so you are uh fresh-faced on some level but not really you're 31 yeah that's also you're an adult i'm aging <laughs> do you can you relate to what matthias is, is talking about or how do what's your take on that um hmm oh i don't about the return to uh to childhood i'm not sure because i i kind of feel like that has been an ever-present Uh, kind of thing that people get into possibly all around the same age but I don't think it's unique to this generation Um, I would argue I mean I I can't think of any particular examples but this is not the first time that comic book franchises have like come around you know that's been happening for that's true years and years and uh, and people revisiting yeah, the stories of their childhoods. I mean, all of the movies in the 80s were about people being kids in the 50s, so they're obviously a people of, them, of yeah. a certain age. Uh, yeah, maybe not all of them. But, um, Certainly Back to the Future, which yeah. kind of has loomed large in a lot of your work lately. Well, and a lot of the things that Matthias references, yeah, Stand By Me or... Uh, um, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, uh, the the one with the uh, vampire boys or whatever. The Lost, Lost boys. boys. That one. <laughs> yeah, the vampire boys. Yeah. I mean, I am younger. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Here's here's a, a perspective on it, and I, I want your uh, your perspectives on this idea. Beyond TV shows and other aspects of pop culture, we are seeing a lot of reboots. Mm-hmm. We are seeing a lot of people remaking things from the past as a contemporary thing. We're also living in an age where records are reissued constantly, mm-hmm. and uh, that's weird. Like everything is like, if you've got a 20th anniversary or 30th anniversary of something, mm-hmm. uh, fair game now to put out a new version of the thing. It is a weird time for ideas. Maybe it feels like people might be it, the fact that people are, you know, these things come up because there's a hunger for them. It's not just out of some celebration of art. It's, oh, there's probably an audience that's going to buy this. Right. What do you think that says about people's satisfaction with what's going on these days? Because I do think that we, as much as we try to celebrate emerging artists, mm-hmm. it's sort of weird how fixated we are on things that came out before and maybe why they might still be relevant today. I wonder if it is, to, to, to go back to a part of your question a minute ago if it really is that that there's a hunger for for that or whether you know people aren't paying attention to whatever new things are happening in music or art or film or whatever or whether it actually is just the the film industry and the music industry and so on saying you know what would be easier than investing in new artists it mm-hmm. would be so much easier to just remake this old stuff and then it's a case of the market sort of uh or the industry creating the market rather than the other way around huh 
so they're creating and, and the platform thing is an, another thing that they're grappling with and we are dealing with too right yeah because they're trying to everything that we loved from our formative periods in life has to be uh, remade for digital platforms or in, in weirdly in your case you guys very kindly just handed me two slabs of vinyl yeah I think those of us who listen to music regularly know that this vinyl resurgence is I don't know if it's I think there is obviously an upsurge in vinyl purchasing some people argue that it's always been there it's true I mean it's a mm -hmm. it's a very long-standing format it never really went anywhere but clearly something's going on you are now as a band because people are not buying CDs, you're forced to, I assume it's more money to invest in. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. And making more of these things. Yeah. And so it's a weird pressure that's almost based on platform. It's a weird mix of nostalgia and platform uh, development that I'm confused about. And I, I mean, your perspective, you guys just made a brilliant video for one of the songs on the record, which is called uh, Fuck the Government, I Love You. Beautiful video. Thank you. Where do videos live now? You just post it yourself. That's a strange thing, right? I mean, yeah. we are willingly, uh, actively, indie bands, major bands, whatever, we're actively creating content for YouTube, which is the site that pays the absolute least per play to artists. Right. So, But we're willingly going there because apparently we still need videos, even though that's where videos live now. And have you found that the videos, it's a promotional Videos were also always a promotional, a promotional thing, thing. Yeah. but there used to be real, uh, a, a tangible result. Yes. Have you seen, I mean, you're putting... It's impossible to measure. I mean, did people get paid to have their videos on MTV? It wasn't, I don't think no, so. But I think it's, it, it was probably impossible to measure back then too, um, but it's certainly, I, I can't figure out how to, how to correlate YouTube clicks or whatever YouTube plays to, to ticket sales at a show, for example. Oh, yeah, it's hard to draw a direct line from one to the other. I mean, I think we have, you know, people reference our videos and stuff, so I assume that they're looking at them, and maybe that's how they discovered us. And you've but got the metrics that you can see in real time if someone's viewing, or not in yeah, real time. Like yeah. Like, your clicks yeah. go up and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't think we're very good at Google Analytics, so I don't know how <laughs> how, like, how exactly things are translating into engagement with our tour dates or anything. Um, but but uh, yeah. But it's also, I mean, I think the, the the positive side of the video resurgence or this you know new need for for video on on platforms like YouTube is that bands like us that have no budget. Um, can have a really good time making them, you know, and, and turn turn the experience of making a video into into an end in and of itself. Yeah, it's fun. Know. It's super fun. It's like, in some ways, maybe more fun than making a record. In some ways, yeah. yeah. It's not as, it just seems ridiculous it and is. silly. It's, and it's fun. You can do anything you want. And, and we don't have the pressure of, you know, a, a, a $50,000 budget or a $100,000, you know, million dollar budget or whatever to, to say like, oh, we've got to make this amazing video or even a $50 budget or a hundred dollar budget yeah you don't have very big budgets no but it's great it takes the pressure off so we can really do whatever we want yeah yeah or, and yeah. I mean we're it's you're living in an unregulated world as well as an independent artist I mean you're on a you're on a couple of different labels right yeah but you don't necessarily need to answer to them no you're your own boss I mean we probably yeah we kind of do have to answer to them I guess <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty 
independent. They, they like our us, answers. They let us yeah, do sure. Do they like. They like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a fellow uh, on the show recently. His name is Joe Casey. He's the singer and songwriter in a band called Proto Martyr from Detroit. And we ended up in this uh, tangent about how he has discovered that their true measure of success as a band is how many T-shirts they sell. So true. Like record sales are not even as exciting anymore, but merchandise and T-shirt sales really tell you how your night has done. On the last tour that we did, I took to saying on a lot of nights, you know, when I would have to talk at some point, I have to mention the fact that we had stuff for sale. Yeah. Uh, I would usually say... Um, we just put out a brand new t-shirt and it's over at the merch table and it started as a joke. And then I realized that it's, it's re it's the real thing. I mean, yeah. the albums are bought as a, as a, an afterthought in some ways. People are excited about the t-shirt. What, what, what does that say about the thing you do? Your thing is not, you are not, you didn't get into this to be clothing manufacturers and retailers. You got into this to make music. How do you feel when your t-shirts are sell- outselling your records? Well, I think obviously people are are accessing the records in different ways and so they're streaming them and so I think it it becomes more important for people to uh to um show fandom in different ways. Like people don't buy records but but more and more probably they buy t-shirts, you know, because it it I don't know, I just think it's more like people are real fans now in some ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Like at least um in, in smaller and smaller little uh, uh, constellations um, of fans per band. You know, maybe you don't get as many fans as you used to and you don't sell as many records, but the people who are your fans, they want a T-shirt because they they have, uh, I don't know, they, they're still trying to show some love of the music. And uh, But obviously, if you can get it for free, you know, you're not going to buy the cow. Well, you know what else, though? I've overheard people say they've bought a T-shirt out of guilt right. because they've, no, that's de- depressing. they've downloaded the record for free <laughs> right. or heard the record for free on your band camp and right. they've streamed it and they're like, you know, I've, I've, I hear this all the time. Yeah. If you're walking out of a venue, you hear people literally saying, I bought a t-shirt, you know, just because I wanted a t-shirt, but I just did it because I got the record for free. What do you think of that? That's a weird mentality. The yeah. music is so secondary. It's yeah. so vital to the experience, but... People are trying to show well, their people lo- wouldn't be there if we were just, you know, only selling T-shirts. They might be. Just, My point might is be. they maybe might be at this point. Would. Yeah, we, we sold, do have good T-shirts. We have really good you T-shirts. You do. Yeah. You could sell out Lee's Palace with a bazaar at this yeah. point <laughs> of just burning hell stuff. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, that's a weird time. It is a weird time, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it makes you question, the, you know, why record at all, you know, at a certain point. It's like, why shouldn't we just play live music? And if people want to hear yeah. the new songs, they could just come to a show. It's actually not a bad idea. Maybe we should Let's think do about that. that. I mean, think of the budgets and the money you're spending and the resources yeah. you're spending. I'm sorry. I don't want this to happen, by the way. You're like really talking us out oh of my ever God. making another album. No. Yeah. But when you, Public Library was our last record. No, yeah. don't do that. Yeah. Don't, do, don't say that. <laughs> my point is that I, I do think that there has been this... There has been this... It's so... It, uh, if you actually think about it, it's really weird. It's really the weird. The record, sale, record sales decline. Yeah. And so uh, artists were saying, we're going to devote more energy to touring because that's how we really make our money, particularly if we're on a label because rec- we have to recoup everything and that yeah. takes forever. The real money that comes to us is from touring. Then touring shifted into this thing where so many bands are like, we're going to play our album live. Yeah. You're like, oh, but no one likes your album. They're not buying them anymore. <laughs> but 
people are like, oh my God, I get to see Bruce Springsteen play the river. Yeah. I'm like, well, why don't you just buy the record? I mean, now you're going to an experience. Just buy the record, but look at a picture of Bruce Springsteen at the same yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just mean now you're going to a, a situation where people felt so free as consumers to be like, I can get a single or I can get a song anywhere now. I can watch yeah. it on YouTube. I don't have to buy the record. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It translated into people going on tour and just playing their records, which makes for a very, for me anyway, a stilted experience of like, I know everything that's about to happen. Yeah. Whereas the live show for me is supposed to be a shock yeah. and yeah. a surprise. So I don't know. I'm just saying these things to you, not because I think you have answers, but you guys are out on the road. You are part of this culture. You are producers of stuff. You create things. Yeah. So I just wonder, I'm not trying to depress you at this I'm not depressed. No, empty, no, I'm not depressed by completely it. empty, empty games, games bar. Cafe. Yeah. But I just am curious, like what you make of all this. I, I, I don't actually, I'm not depressed about it. I, I really think no matter what the st stats are of the industry as a whole. And like, for example, the vinyl resurgence or whatever. Yes, it's true. Vinyl numbers have been doubling year after year for the last few years. But if you look at the records, vinyl record sales from 2015 and compare them to vinyl record sales in 1975, it's a tiny, teeny, yeah. tiny fraction. Yeah. And the idea that it will ever get to the same level that it was in the mid-70s, for example, is preposterous. It's well, not going to. Why has me... I mean, this, would you... It's probably harder for us to have this perspective. The same thing is happening with film. Yeah, absolutely. Like the same, the movies are getting, I mean, I think, I was just, my friend uh, who has kids was saying he went to see, uh, what's the new movie with, uh, Bill Murray's in a new movie. I can't remember what it is. It's like a kid's movie, I think. I oh, The Jungle Book. Oh, The Jungle Book. They redid, the, they again. remade The yeah. Jungle Book again. I don't know how many versions there are, but he went to see it and I texted back. I don't even go to movies anymore. They all suck. I don't like it. I just don't go anymore. Yeah. And I think that mentality and, you know, people are home theater systems are more affordable. Everyone's got a giant. Well, and no one ever feels guilt about. I mean, I think movies are even more extreme because no one ever feels guilt about um, uh, stealing a movie for free yeah. off the Internet. They, they may feel guilt about doing it uh, for a band. They may then go to the show and buy a T-shirt right. out of guilt. But right. they don't, you know, they don't go up to the director of that movie and buy his T-shirt. doesn't well, happen. A lot of the kind of uh, righteous indignation about the music industry manifested itself in downloading in finding things on your own yeah without and, and i think the same thing is happening with movies where people are just like they've been shoveling this crap to us for so long and it's all like boot uh reboots and and not great stories really anymore uh forget it you know yeah i mean i but i think in terms of the music i mean this is just my opinion ariel feel free to disagree with me and i'm sure yeah. you will but uh but I don't think it's depressing in terms of the music uh, because no matter how much major labels will endlessly reissue their back catalogs, no matter how much people will, you know, mostly stop paying for recorded music, uh, there are still fans. Kind of like what you were saying before, you know, it's kind of condensing fandom into this really crystalline sort of uh, dense uh, purity or whatever, where the people that are coming to the shows and the people that are buying records are super fans, you know? And so yeah. I feel like there's, a, we don't have casual fans anymore. Not that we ever did, but like, you know, we don't have like, we, we've never had like masses of people who are just like listening casually to a song or two. Like the people that like us really, really like us. Yeah. And I like that, you know, I would prefer to have a hundred people that really love what we're doing than, you know, a thousand people or 10,000 people or whatever who are kind of ambivalent or or fair weather fans you, or whatever. you guys both play or you, your band rather played glastonbury a year or two ago yeah 
Uh, Ariel, what was that experience like? So that's a general audience. I assume you, sorry if this is uh, uh, presumptuous, I assume you played like a side stage. You weren't on the gigantic <laughs> stage. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. correct. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not facing hundreds of thousands of people or whatever it no. is? No, I think there are about 500 to 1,000 people that's at That's pretty amazing yeah. still. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like? Because that's an audience that... Did you did, were you aware of people who knew you really well? Well, yeah. I mean, there were there were definitely obviously some fans in that crowd because um, yeah, they were wearing t-shirts. <laughs> you had that Lionel Richie t-shirt for sale, exactly. Yeah, which I get. I have a, uh, one of those, and people. It's so yeah. it's a says the burning hell. Yeah, but it's a like an, a cartoon rendering of Lionel Richie. That's right. Yes. Why is that again? You. Well, there's a reference to Lionel Richie in one of the songs from People, our last album. So, yeah. Um, okay. But, and, uh, and uh, yeah, people like it on the t-shirt, you know? It's I get asked about it all the time. Yeah. yeah. People don't, aren't sure who it is. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember who they think it is, but I just know I've had, to, they're <laughs> like, is that? I'm like, Lionel Richie. They're, they're like, no. I don't know where they were going to go. And oh, it, interesting. It, it, gets, it yeah. can be awkward. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they might... Is that Barbara Streisand? Like, I don't know who they think it is. Um, anyway, what was the experience like of playing to a general audience for the I first think, time in a while? I think it was... I think it was really good, actually. Glastonbury was um, probably a really positive experience in terms of playing to a general audience. Uh, it's, it's always a little... Oh, wait. Actually, now that I think about it a little more clearly. Um, it was weird. It was weird, maybe. Um, go ahead. I, I just no. I just want to say it was awesome. I want to say Glastonbury was awesome. Yeah. I have fond memories of it. It was intense and, and crazy. I mean, so I think it's the biggest outdoor music festival in the world, right? In terms of numbers. Maybe um, big day out in Australia. That was or crazy. Something. That yeah. was crazy. And there was there were elements of it that were upsetting, just in terms of like the way they have to run it because it's so big. Like the security was a little upsetting. Um, and but I have to say, for a festival that size with that much security and that much whatever, it was a remarkably fun experience. Yes, and I would say that we actually did two sets at Glastonbury, and the first one oh. was this bigger set, and, and there were obviously like a lot of people who were really into it, and some people who looked kind of bored. It was 11 o'clock in the morning on a Friday. Oh, man. Um, you know, and so it was difficult, uh, but then we played a later show at this uh, little tent bar thing, and uh, there were maybe 20 people to 50 people at that, and uh, and that was really fantastic, and everybody, like, people lost their brains, and it was the most fun. So I think the that the answer to all of this is that general audiences shows are difficult. Maybe and sorry, the just to segue into another part of this, like whole what's happening to music these days, these kids, blah yeah. blah blah, kind of conversation, <laughs> uh, is let's talk about festivals because yeah. I feel like the one thing that's really happening in the music industry yes. now is there's a new festival. Literally, like in the last two seconds that we were just talking, there's 60 new festivals yep. in Ontario, in Toronto, yeah. probably, you probably know, yeah. that just happened right now. Um, Do you think like we're reaching peak festivals? No, 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 we're we're, we're well so. past peak festival. Yeah. And oh, it's going to burst. But like, do you think it's like, oh, I was wondering if it has burst already. Uh, like it, I think it'll take two more summers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, before, uh, I mean, I am affiliated with a few different festivals. Yeah. And um, I work relatively closely with the Hillside Festival mm -hmm. who have <clears throat> seen their landscape shift. Of course. Yeah. Because uh, another festival opened up right in our, in the, in the backyard of Guelph basically modeling itself after the Hillside Festival. You guys played it, the one in Allura. 
the Riverfest. Oh, right. And um, it was just down the road, yeah. just down the road, about a month apart. A lot of the same kinds of artists. Price points are about the same. Experientially, they're trying to do the same thing. Um, Hillside wasn't the first festival, obviously, but they've had to cope with, over the years, people from Ottawa and Toronto, and I guess now Alora have said, hey, how do you do this to them? And they've said, oh, well, that's nice of you to ask, and thanks for noticing, and here's how you do it. You know, you have a, a great kids area, so it's a family-friendly event. Right. We don't do any corporate sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to make an eclectic lineup. And then they all said, oh, cool. And they all kind of made their own festivals. I'm not necessarily begrudging anyone for this. What I am upset by is that um, all kind of loyalty, where the loyalty factor comes into play is that some of these folks are sort of inexperienced budget-wise. And if someone says, hey, uh, if you want metric to play, in your town, it's going to cost you $200,000. That's what an agent will say. Mm-hmm. And some of the newer, older festivals would be like, what are you, crazy? I'm not paying you that. Like, that's, I'm not, I'm just picking metric and whatever. I don't, <laughs> I'm making up a price point. I don't know. I'm just saying, yeah. these are all hypotheticals. But a, a seasoned uh, festival artistic director would say, okay, that's an interesting first volley. Here's my counter offer. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be half that because my budget is only about 200K. I'm not going to be able to give one band all of our budget. The newer festival people are like, okay, Mm -hmm. sure, we'll give you we'll give you 200K. And then that alters the landscape because no one can compete when uh, some of these folks have capital investors who are just like, we're going to give you enough money to make this festival happen for five years and see how it goes. Well, and I think. I mean, I think that's a really good point. And I think also what I have seen more and more recently is a lot of festivals that are offering those guarantees and then not being able to pay the bands. I feel like that seems to be happening a lot. And I know that you <laughs> are here right now because you're not to all tomorrow's parties. I'm wearing my drive like Jehu t-shirt yeah. all weekend. I've worn it. It smells at this point because I've been wearing it for two days. <laughs> but yeah, I was supposed yeah. to be at uh, in England. Yeah. Yeah. And we weren't going to be able to talk. So it all worked out well. Yeah. That we're here. I'm glad I'm not there, frankly, because it didn't. It's not happening. Yes. Yeah. It'd be but weird yeah, if you were there. like a festival made this in a, just like the most incredible artistic. They give ATP yeah. gives their. They ask someone to curate a band to curate an artist to curate, and then they put together this amazing thing, and then they yeah yeah it just didn't happen. Because and this is not the first not time something. Like no, that with has ATP, happened. this is a yeah. potentially a, this is an infrastructure institutional issue with mm-hmm. this particular uh, company. But it's going to happen more, yeah. Um, because everyone's dependent on most people are dependent on ticket sales, mm-hmm. but some people aren't. Some people have, you know, as I say, yes. kind of silent partners. Mm-hmm. They may not look corporate, but they've got an infusion. Yeah, they've of got cash. some secret money. Like, oh, yeah. you're, it's your first first festival in Ontario. Like, why not hire Neil Young yeah. to headline your festival? You know? And let's give Neil Young. I I don't know if this is uh, talking out of turn, but Neil Young made two million dollars for playing last year at that festival in in. Uh, or Omadant, is that how you say it? I'm not sure how you say it. But the thing in the Way Home Festival. Yeah. And my understanding first is... First year of the festival. First year yeah. of the festival. And they, you know, obviously they're going to look at the landscape and then and, and try to dominate. I mean, this year's lineup for that festival is bananas if you are like an indie rock or whatever person. If yeah. you're like, you know. I don't know what to tell you about it. We're, we are in a, a phase of 
which I think is healthy. I mean, I think you and I and us three probably came of age with fairly open-minded musical tastes, and you guys talk about amateur rappers in your music, and you are ostensibly a folk rock band, you know, so maybe 10, 20 years ago, it would be kind of weird for you to mel go into that direction, right? Because there was more of an orthodoxy of a genre. Yeah. But with the internet and information being so free now, people are like, oh, I can listen to whatever I want and I can be proud of that. Yeah. Everyone's kind of a generalist. And so these festivals that, remember, I don't even know if you remember this. You guys are, you lived in Peterborough and you are, there's a fairly political, there are political machinations around your Peterborough Folk Festival, right? Like everyone has a old school, it's a folk festival. It's yeah, not a rock yeah. festival. We don't have hip hop at our folk festival. Yeah. All of that is melted away, which is good. Yeah. But it just means that all these festivals can cater to everyone. Yeah. And people will go because our tastes are so varied now. But it also sort of seems watered down. No one has an aesthetic. Yeah. The other side of it, too, the other side of that is that I think that on the audience's part, uh, what people want more and more is uh, a musical experience. Yes. They don't necessarily want to watch a show. They want to go to a, a festival and have a festival weekend and, and be able to Instagram it. And Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Talk about it and talk about it in, in experiential terms and not talk about it necessarily in musical terms. And like, leave oh, with a t-shirt. And leave with a t-shirt. Like the t-shirt, that thing that we talked about yeah. is really emblematic of people's attitudes towards music now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll pay money to go to a club and they'll talk while the headlining oh, yeah. band is playing. Yeah. And you see it all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've, all, we, I've always been aware of that. Like I'm a super fan. Like I'm a, if I go to something, I'm going because I care. Um, and I, it's not my right probably to police people's passion levels. But it's fashion. Like a lot of what we're seeing now is just fashion. And there's all this money going into it because it's hip to do. And But I mean... The reason to, that I'm not depressed though to come, I realize that yeah. I never finished saying why I'm not depressed is because ultimately music is uh, something that people will continue to do themselves uh, for a long time. Yep. No matter what. Regardless of whether people are buying records or t-shirts or not buying either of those things or wanting to go to festivals versus club shows musicians and songwriters will keep doing their thing regardless of whether or not anybody's listening. Um, and that's exciting to me. That is exciting. I'm, you know, in this show, and I've talked about this a lot, obviously, that's kind of what I do too. Yeah. There's not huge, I'm not making money. Um, the audience kind of comes and goes on some level. I, it's doing fine, but it's not, I wish it was, I'm happy with what we do on the show and I'm happier on the show. 
But it's at the same time, sometimes when you are confronted with metrics, you're like, or record sales or sure. whatever these days, you're like, what? Like, is there, what's, oh, and what's and the point of it's this? It's totally upsetting to, to sort of look at, you know, the, how hard it is to become a, uh, how hard it is to, be, to, to make a living, you know, doing this compared to even five years ago. Like, it's yeah. changed drastically. Yeah. Um, and that's sad and that sucks or whatever. But, you know, music as a commodity has changed radically over the last hundred years and it's gone through all sorts of different phases and we can't expect it to stay the same it didn't stay the same between the 20s and the 50s and it didn't stay the same between the 50s and the 80s and you know things are things are changing people are making money in different ways now and uh ultimately people will always continue to do music uh and find a way to do music one way or another and uh, so i'm not worrying i guess i'm not worrying about uh the ability of uh, new sounds to you know, enter the world. Yeah, no, you I know, think that the, that's safe. On some level, you know, you are reveling in. We were talking about your the relative lack of oversight in yeah. your creative endeavors, which is a great aspect of the time. Yeah, um, but it does, it does. It makes me wonder how sustainable it is for all of you and all of us to keep doing it in the face of. Uh, certainly in your case it's not indifference you have an audience like you've cultivated an audience and they're coming out and they're picking up records and all that stuff but maybe it's kind of good maybe it's like a weird survival of the fittest thing maybe it's although maybe that's just capitalism maybe yeah. we're just I'm now being like oh capitalism was right capitalism <laughs> is right the market wins the market was right and the demands I feel like that's what's happening like it seems free it seems like there's this deregulation and everyone can do what they want, but everything is so based on numerical data. And the music industry is, is it, you know, is still calling the shots. Yeah. I mean, let's, yeah. let's not fool ourselves. And they've figured out ways to get people to buy more product just by reselling them the same stuff they used to own. Yeah. And these all these formats we were talking about. We were talking about motivation, so it seems like uh, a good time to ask both of you what got you into music. Uh, and what keeps you playing in this band? Ariel, do you want to talk to talk about that? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I took a kind of funny path because I, uh, you know, I think I was one of those kids that probably could have benefited from a girls rock camp back in the day, um, like a like shy, introverted, uh, like nerdy girl. Um, and I played the clarinet in high school and, uh, and then kind of like gave that up. And um, it was just after... After I finished university, I was living in Toronto, and I was pretty sad, and I bought a clarinet on eBay, and um, <laughs> and that's when I took it up again, and, and Matthias and I started, started I started playing with Matthias just a little bit, and uh, and then that kind of blossomed into more and more, and uh, and in a way, yeah, it has given me this, like, really interesting opportunity to, I think, like, play the clarinet in a, in a way that most people don't, and... Uh, and do some different, yeah, to approach it a bit differently. So, and my motivation for keeping going is because uh, I guess that playing shows is probably the happiest that I've ever been. You seem <laughs> incredibly uh, happy. You seem like yeah. you're having the time of your life when you're yeah. on stage. Yeah, well, I'd love it more than anything. Oh, nice. So, uh, so as long as I can do it, I will continue doing it. Um, and I'm very glad that I I managed to like take this kind of circuitous route into music because I wanted nothing more than to be in a like a punk band when I was a teenager. But I didn't see 
you know, I didn't, I guess I just didn't see that opportunity for myself at that time. And so to have been able to, to kind of like play this like nerdy junior high school band instrument, uh, all over the world, you know, has been like a pretty like weird and gratifying way of like reclaiming that, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my path. <laughs> and Matthias, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always uh, loved music since I was, you know, a little kid. Um, and it wasn't, though, until I was in my late 20s that I started uh, really taking it seriously at all. And I, I mean, even seriously, I'm not sure what I mean by that, but uh, started thinking about performing my songs for other people, I guess. It wasn't until I was in my late 20s. This is when you were in that. Peterborough? Yeah. Yeah. And Peterborough is a very, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what it's like now, but at the time, you know, it was a very... Uh, welcoming artistic community. It was a great place to sort of get started and, and feel like um, even if you weren't doing the best thing of all time on stage, there was like a community of people that were very supportive of that. And that was a great place to, to play music um, back then. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I, once I got my foot in the door or my first sort of taste of, of performing, same as Ariel said, I mean, it's the most gratifying experience I've ever had being on stage. You guys have this song that we referenced earlier, Fuck the Government, I Love You, and it's, it, you know, you guys, Matthias, I know you to be in particular, you in particular to be a very observational songwriter. Um, is This song chronicles a meeting. Uh, is it, in fact, your, the way you two met? It, like, it seems to outline a very specific circumstance in which you met. Is it true? Uh yeah, I think it's mostly true. I, I think that party is uh, in the song is a bit of an amalgamation of, of several Trent University parties. Oh, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would say that the, the essence of it is 100% true. Right, okay. Yeah. You just sort of met and, 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 and that's where, and, and you just, in the song you say, you mentioned that you play clarinet or something and you say, well, you're in the band. Yeah, and that's kind of how it happened. That is ex- exactly how it happened. Right. I mean, we, we, maybe the timeline is messed with a little bit in that song. Sure. No, no, no. Um, not, I'm not suggesting. <laughs> but, this is not an inquisition. But, I'm not. But, I'm not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's like, I was really excited when Ariel told me that she had, she had bought a clarinet and was sort of taking it up again. And, and we just started playing together like, a couple times, just like, casually. Uh, you were home. smitten. I was I mean, smitten. You were smitten, was smitten, and then you saw this opportunity to actually yeah, collaborate. Yeah, absolutely, and it's the best. Now, your band, The Burning Hell, has always had, uh, I think, a fairly overt political standpoint. Um, you've written songs about various points in history um, <laughs> that uh, have been significant, and you, you can find the surreal absurdity of some of these situations. Ariel just said something to me about, or said something, rather, about a girls' rock camp. And that's significant to me because we are, I think, as much as we're talking about this age and what's going on, we're living in a, a, in a time where I'm feeling better about how empowered people are feeling. These girls' rock camps are popping up more and more. There's more and more outspokenness about how horribly white and male, sorry, Matthias, um, oh. and, and chauvinistic the music industry has been and... I feel that changing, like just because people are talking about it more. Ariel, like, you, have you led a girls' rock camp? No, because no, there was one I, in Peterborough, right? 
There was one in Peterborough. There is. There is continues one. to be yeah. one in Peterborough. Yeah. I, I guess I've never been anywhere long enough. And St. John's is just starting one this summer. St. John's, Newfoundland. Yeah, Newfoundland. Right, right. And, and now we don't live there anymore. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, your- no, I've never had an opportunity. But, I mean, I would love to do something like that. I'm maybe a big it, fan of the... Maybe it's not insignificant that everywhere you leave, someone's like, I want to do that. <laughs> I'm going to start a girls' rock camp. That's got to be... There's something going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be me. <laughs> do you have any perspective on because i know i mean you had a horrible experience that you talked about on facebook about a a sound tech treating you poorly at a festival recently and i don't really like to be heavy-handed with these like tell me about being a woman in music (laughs) things but but in the context of what we were just discussing girls rock camp um potentially a kind of enlightenment going on about these issues Mm -hmm. what is your perspective on that as someone play who plays music around the world i mean Do you feel like you're treated differently or better or or what's going on? Wow. Um, I think usually uh, we are very lucky to operate within um, a kind of DIY network that is political by its very nature. And so uh, I think a lot of the people that we deal with are really... um, are, are pretty progressive and, and, and great to deal with. And I, I really haven't had that many issues. Um, luckily, I mean, I think just more, more a general sense of when I was younger, feeling really, uh, shut out of, of what the like small music community was at my high school and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, but since as part of the burning hell, I mean, I, I haven't had many issues except for except for that that one time, and and occasionally, you know, I I have I have troubles ex- explaining to people that I understand the the basics of of certain t- technologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people which, uh, underestimate you still. Yeah, 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 certainly, and and it's also weird, you know. I mean, I'm a I'm a side musician. I play like a, a pretty. F- a, feminine instrument i mean mm. i think there's a reason why a lot of people want to you know who wanted i don't think sorry i don't think people could see the air quotes around feminine just there oh, okay well they were there um they could feel them but uh, uh i guess you know there's a reason why you know i had a very short-lived punk band and i get why people want to do music like that in a, in a feminist spirit because you know, it, it feels very important, and that feels to have been a, a particularly chauvinist, uh, a macho, area, macho yeah. area of music, and, and certainly that is part of the reason why in high school I, I had a difficult time with that uh, kind of crowd, I guess. Um, but yeah, being a woman playing a clarinet in a rock band is is like a kind of completely different thing. So I have to kind of think about um, about my my gender in terms of that in like it's all other guys in the band you know it's yeah, not, yeah. in a different way I guess and and uh, I find that an interesting thing to think about um I don't I don't have any explicit answers about it but I do hope to like to kind of consider how being a, a side musician and playing like an unconventional rock instrument and also being like the partner of the main songwriter yeah. who is a man yeah. like how do I uh, get to feel good about about my own agency and power within that situation and of course the band is very is great and I, it's not a uh, it's not a macho band or no. anything but uh, but it, it is something that I think about a lot anyway can I just add something to that? Yeah, I think that what, what you said um, at the beginning was so interesting because the assumption that because we sort of work in a more or less DIY 
network or whatever, like right. an indie rock network or whatever. We we assume we tend to assume the that that other that you live sh- in a we live we what you discover I think and I think where you're going with this is that we tend to live in a vacuum of pro- we think we're in a progressive yeah realm, but surprisingly until, until we find out that we're not yeah. and those yeah. and that's why why when that happens it's it's so much more shocking i guess yeah. and like and upsetting but yeah and i mean yeah, it's and sort i don't mean to sorry i don't mean to say that you know diy networks are therefore infallible or anything no no I, I didn't think you were saying that i just think it's really it's a good point because it it, it it directly gets at our assumptions as a band you know and all of our friends and everything we're all cool right so everyone else must be cool too and then then when it does happen when you do get that you know that one sound technician or whatever that that sort of says something that probably is par for the course in in a lot of the music industry but we don't experience it that often it's devastating yeah 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 because it seems like someone has entered our realm yeah and is an interloper really interloper. yeah yeah you oh, the, the so people who don't know the burning house should know that the band has evolved a lot in terms of its membership uh in part because you've lived in berlin you've lived in peterborough you lived in st john's newfoundland so out of necessity you've kept the band going with different people it seems to me that when the band started musical proficiency wasn't necessarily the main um, consideration for membership in the band I don't know if this is true necessarily it just seemed like Matthias and you can I'm not, I, I want to say this without making you uncomfortable no, you're not making me uncomfortable sorry. well I don't want to suggest that you saw it as a means to feel, make people feel empowered or better about themselves or anything but there was a community mindedness about it in its early days particularly when you were ensconced in a community you, I think you still I mean you guys are now in PEI yeah and I I don't know if you have any people from PEI in your band at the moment. Just I'm, Ariel. Right. I mean, and, and yeah, you two are kind of... Anyway, one of you is... Are you heading back to PEI? You're in Toronto for school, Ariel, and... Yes. You'll head back. Yeah. So in any case, I, my sense is that the, the current configuration of the band is still the Newfoundland... Is Nick still in the band? Oh, yeah. So you got a bit of Peterborough, a little Newfoundland. So, so the band has kept together. But uh, where I was going was... It seemed to be a community-minded thing and a reflection of your community. Why, if that's accurate, and if that was of paramount importance to you in keeping the band going, why was that a thing that you were hopeful to do? I wish that I could say that that was, you know, completely intentional. That that was the that was the main uh, strategy that I was, sort of. Uh, you know, orchestrating an empowering community-minded band. Uh, it, I would love to claim that. But the reality is that, that, I mean, I I didn't know what I was doing. And in in the the early years of the band, I didn't actually think that it was real. You know, I just thought, oh, well, this is cool. We'll go on a tour. What's a tour? Let's find out, you know, who wants to come? And that's sort of how it evolved very organically that way. Um, And Peterborough is that kind of music scene anyway, where people, everyone's playing in each other's bands, or at least it was at the time. Your band started when a rather large band called the Silver Hearts was a going concern. Yeah, and and every band in Peterborough was like that, a revolving door uh, membership. 14, 15 15 people or whatever. And that can only work in a town that's that sort of small, or a music scene that's that sort of small and cooperative and whatever, and collaborative. And that was super inspiring. And so that's how it started. And then after about a year or two of actually touring all the time, I started realizing this is totally untenable. Yeah. You know, and actually like the the current lineup, the five of us, you know, Ariel and myself and and Darren and Jake and Nick, 
that's been the lineup since 2011. It hasn't changed at all in five years. So it was early days, uh, the first couple of years of the band, where it was sort of all over the map, hodgepodge, and every tour would be a different different number of people or whatever. But it's been really consistent since since around 2011, the five of us. Um, and you know, in some ways, I, I you know I have super fond memories of the, of that that time and and that sort of uh, chaotic energy, I guess, that was going on back then. Um, but at a certain point, I just realized like I need to have a band of people that are that are somewhat stable and and committed to to doing this thing. It probably made the stakes seem lower when you had that many people in the band. Like, yeah. On some level, you were like. Well, who knows what's going to happen every night. I remember when we first started practicing for our three-piece configuration for the tour I was alluding to earlier, I was a bit nervous because I had to learn Burning Hell songs and Wax Mannequin songs, but you really set me at ease because you seem to care a lot but not care that much. Which yeah. Is a, it's a difficult balancing act of like, I want this to go well, but it's going to work out fine. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I, the other thing too is that it forced me, and this is the unexpected benefit of of, of the chaos of the early years of the burning hell is that it really forced me to lean on the songs themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and trust that or hope anyway, that, uh, no matter who was on stage, no matter what the instrumentation was, that something in the song would come across to people. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if that was successful or not, it's but I think that a lot of the, like the, the sort of the, that reputation of the band, uh, stems from that time, you know, and it's, it's funny to me now. And I think it's funny to Ariel and, and, the others as well because it's just it hasn't been that way for so long but in a lot of circles we're still seen as this like ramshackle collective of bohemians who just you know it just, it just like absolutely couldn't be further from the truth yeah it's yeah. So, it's stabilized it's a real yeah it's a band firm band yeah. yeah well it's for what it's worth and you know i have my biases obviously because i love you too uh, <laughs> bono is awesome uh, no I love you guys uh, it's a remarkable catalog of songs you know you are you remain uh, one of my favorite songwriters anywhere so it's uh, amazing that you uh, made time for me to be on the show made the time to be on the show with us with me I can't talk I'm so I'm getting overwhelmed with emotion um, you've got two records out essentially like that's what you've given me what can yeah. you tell us about this thing, first of all, well, this, that, this is uh, Ariel Sharat and Matthias Com. Don't believe the hyper real. What? 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 So Ariel and I, uh, we started performing as a duo a couple of years ago in Berlin when we were living there, um, and for a while we were sort of just doing Burning Hell songs as a duo, and then we started thinking about changing that up a bit, and that's the first. That's our first record as a duo. Nice. Yeah. And there's a couple of songs that show up. There's oh, one song. One the song. Government I Love You is on both because we couldn't decide. There's two different versions. We couldn't decide which one we like better. So we just kept on both albums. So then there's the other album, which is the new full band Burning Hell album called Public Library, which I have a question for you about. Okay. Yes, go is for it. Is that all right? Yes, of course. So Turn the tables. Um, so I asked you to write a blurb or a, mm-hmm. uh, an essay, really, for the, a mini- miniature essay for the back yes. of this record. And you did. And I loved it. Um, and I wonder if you could just read uh, the, the first three paragraphs. What? Yeah, can you do that? Cause Why? Because Ariel has some questions for you. I do. Yeah. We, oh, the first three paragraphs. They're short paragraphs. Okay. We get weird when things change. It makes us paranoid and disappointed that we placed our trust in something as though the core or essence of it has been compromised somehow. 
Things can get so bad in our fixations with quote-unquote progress, we might blind ourselves to the more enticing aspects of spiritual and physical evolution. It's as futile as screaming at a clock. I mention all of this because the burning hell has changed a lot over the past decade, but are also essentially still the same, an idiosyncratic hub that trusts ideas and invention first and worries about bypassing logistical parameters maybe fourth or fifth. Because they are funny and present rather empathetic, selfless perspectives via catchy-ass songs, they are not lauded as the truly great band they are by self-serious arbiters of taste in the media who will throw in with fashion before consistency eight days a week. At one point, their founder, primary lyricist and singer Matthias Kahn, played punk songs with a ukulele, which is a very tiny guitar that macho men do not take seriously. <laughs> now he plays an electric guitar, and macho men are still kind of dicks about it. Those are the first three paragraphs. Yeah. Uh, why did I have to do that? Um, well, I, wa- I just wanted to hear you read it. That was one thing. But no, uh. Ariel was asking <laughs> me about it yesterday, and she was like, does Vish think that we're not cool? <laughs> you're asking me if I don't think you're cool. No. Well, no. Yes. Yeah. I, but I think it's an interesting question. I, I don't mean it as a just like, Vish, don't you think that's we're cool? Just, that's an interesting question because I am advocating for your coolness. Yeah. But in a way that questions why more people don't yeah, the, get into it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's what I was doing there, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but the premise is that we are not cool. No, the premise is that you're not considered cool yes. by people who could, who normally are like, oh my God, the new, I don't know. Right. I don't want to throw anyone so under the bus. we are cool to you. My point is that you're super cool, but people don't always recognize it because you're funny. And I do think right. that when you're irreverent, it's harder to come across uh, as serious. By pe- people like to say like, that serious thing is really cool. Right. And then if you can build that up enough, you then people attend. I, I don't want to, you're not in any similar realm, but look at Wilco. Yeah. Wilco is a band that uh, I would say was ostensibly quite serious. There were some little things where the sense of humor came through, but they had to make a series of very serious records before they got into things like we're in a caller album, Wilco the album, and, and their latest album has all sorts of funny, right. yeah. funny, funny songs on it that are... I, for whatever reason, I still think humor is viewed as a novelty. Wit is viewed as a novelty. Meanwhile, I mean, my favorite songwriters are people who are so funny. David Berman of the Silver Jews. Absolutely. Um, you know, you may not always catch it, but Will Oldham. Like, there's people who are able to infuse their music that is kind of serious with humor mean the world to me. And Carolyn Mark. I mean, there's so many pe- examples of Jeff Berner. Totally. There's so many great examples of people that I don't think get the credit they deserve because people don't assume they're serious enough. And that's, that's where I'm going with that. Yeah, that's actually actually something that we were talking about a lot this morning, I guess, based on that, is, is yeah, what place humor has in music. And, and I think you're absolutely right that, that a lot, of, I mean, almost all of my favorite uh, songwriters are funny in some way, you know? Um, the Beatles were really funny. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, like, I, anyway, I... I feel like you've been put on the spot after... Sorry, Mat- let me... Matthias yeah. is like, I'm going to put both of these people on the spot. Yeah, exactly. You read a thing you wrote, you comment on it, 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I do feel like that's how, that's how it went down. I didn't mean for you guys no, no, to feel like it, you were on I, the spot. I felt fine about it. I, I fumbled a bit. I really, no, I really love, I really love what you wrote. And there's more, you know, for, for your listeners, you know, there's a lot more. There's three more paragraphs. There's three more paragraphs. Um, why were those first three? What, why did they No, just because mind? I think that, like, the, you know, the, the, the essence of what you're saying there comes across already in the first three paragraphs. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting to think about the fact that we're not cool. I don't think we're cool. Yeah. And I am totally fine with that. And that's what kind of why I love what you wrote so much is, you know, you don't you see that on the back of a record or in a, in a press kit or whatever. You don't see someone say, like, you know what, nobody thinks these guys are cool. Um, but here's why, you know, they are good. Yeah, you that's know? where I was going. And I think that's a much more interesting way to talk about a band uh, than to just say, you know, oh, this uh, life-changing sonic experience, blah, 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 you know, to, to write something serious about people who are already trying to be so serious about their music. And, and it's not a self-pitying or a pitying thing. I mean, you've got lots of coverage from media sources yeah. around the world. And, uh, and the people who, like you said earlier, the people who love you, love you. It's not... Just from my perspective, I see the things that get more attention than others, and I've been talking about this a little bit on the show because of various conversations about the relationship between a fan and obscurity, or rather a fan and an artist and, and obscurity. And I don't think you're obscure necessarily, but on some level you are. Absolutely. Like, yeah, so yeah. so it, it uh, my premise was basically that when you love something, that is a public thing and the general public aren't aware of it as a fan sometimes you go out of your you if you have the platform you will go out of your way to try to convert people yes to the thing you love and you start to sound like a psychopath yeah because all you'll talk about is the burning hell or al tuck or whoever you think is like worthy of more attention than they get but i think it's also because you know people have made a lot about the fact that we're losing lots of uh iconic artists in the year 2016 yeah and i'm a parent and um and uh before i know it spring is here and summer is here and i don't even know where the winter went and the fall went i know they're happening yeah axel rose is fronting acdc and (laughs) and you don't know what's going on life is fleeting and strange and i'm trying to uh and and when you get to our age you uh recognize that (laughs) You, when you get to middle age, you recognize that everything is more precious than it than you thought it was, or yeah. were aware that it was before. So that's why you, uh, if you have the energy and effort to uh, put into something like I did for you guys, you do it. Yeah. You start to champion things and, and start to be like, you know, let's get to the heart of what makes my life worthwhile. Yeah. On some level, it's the songs of the burning hell. You know what I mean? Like totally, absolutely, and yeah. I think I think that that. I enjoy, I think people enjoy being fans on such a sort of intense level. I, I do, yeah. you know, and just like you said, you know, like I, I, I won't rest until everybody that I know also loves Wax Mannequin yeah. and also loves Al Tuck and also loves Construction and Destruction. Oh, yeah. I'm not, yeah. you know, I mean. Yeah. I, it doesn't feel futile. It no. feels like a part of the deal we yeah. make as fans. It's a weird interaction. You're having a, in some cases, like we're in a realm where we interact with the people we admire in some ways. Certainly I am, you know, I end up talking to people that mean a great deal to me and that's weird. But I also think that without that interaction, we have a conversation as a listener and a, and a creator or an art and an an artist you're, you're, you're putting, you're communicating. It's a communication thing. It can be seem one-sided, but then if you make something great, 
and someone receives it and they tell someone else about it, you are now part of two conversations with yeah. a record you made. Yeah. That's not something you can underestimate or undervalue. That's something very vital, and it's what keeps us all talking. Absolutely. So anyway, I don't mean to soapbox it here, but I'm high on all this uh, cappuccino and uh, <laughs> this banana. I was going to say, and I cut myself off, the, the offshoot of the coffee drinking, I, I'm a, I have a horrible sweet tooth. You yeah, might remember this. I do, yeah. I always wanted a cake or candy or something. I got a terrible sweet tooth. So I'm eating more sweets with the coffee to balance the, the bitterness. So I actually like having a waffle with my coffee or a muffin with my coffee. I don't eat them. No. So it's making me, uh, it's, uh, it's, I'm caffeinated and addicted to caffeine and now I'm getting fat. So thanks a lot, coffee. <laughs> thanks a lot. What's coming up next for you guys uh, uh, in terms of Burning Hell activity? We are about to go on tour. Uh, we'll be touring all through May and June in Europe and the UK and Canada. And that's the, that's the foreseeable future. I mean, I, are you doing that's, past that's, two months? No, no, that, that's, that okay? that's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. And Ariel, where can people uh, who are listening to this uh, via the internet, most of these podcasts live on the internet, where can yeah it's weird where do where should people uh, go to follow you guys uh the way people follow people these days um <laughs> i mean well, we're on all of the following platforms uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah friendster yeah um yeah so our website is we are the burning and uh and that you can find us all the other following things through that. I at guess. the Burning Hell on Twitter and yeah, at Facebook the, backslash the, the Burning the Hell, burning hell <laughs> uh, at the Burning Hell band or whatever on Instagram. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> we got them all. Good. I, I, and I hope people uh, follow you wherever you go <laughs> <laughs> to your car, wherever it is. I just buy a T-shirt. People. Just buy <laughs> What uh, is there a song from um, Public Library that we can go out on right now for people to hear? Sure. Well, since you've talked so much about it, yeah, we could we could play "Fuck the Government, I Love You." Okay. Uh, what can? You, well, I guess we talked about it. It's basically a slight origin story of your relationship. Yeah, it's not slight. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's basically the origin substantial. story. Substantial. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it's funny. I think, but not too funny. Now, I I want to say this, and I hope he doesn't <laughs> mind that I say this out of turn, but. Uh, I have developed a slight pen pal relationship with David Berman of Silver Juice. Blowing my mind. <laughs> so Blowing I, my mind. Anyway, we, we, we sometimes will exchange uh, songs we like. Uh, so he sent me something, and then I uh, just recently sent him your song, this song that we're about to hear. And he really loved it. And he, he commented on the structure of it. Like, he actually listened to it, and he was like, it was interesting of them not to go for the chorus as many times as they could have because it's such a funny chorus. I imagine that would be irresistible. I admire their restraint. I think I can actually just stop playing music now because I can't imagine achieving anything better in the world of music than knowing that David Berman heard a song that I wrote. Well, that's nice. I'm serious. I, uh, you, this, you, this is it. Come on. What am I so, supposed to do now? So I'm last so Burning cool. Hell album, we've already established that. You're not going to make any more records. No. And now you're just done. <laughs> Well, maybe, I don't know, we could keep making t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Well, in any case, it's a brilliant song, and uh, at least myself and David Berman think so. So thank you <laughs> for being on this show, Matthias and Ariel, and obviously best of luck with everything. And, and, I, and I love you both. I love you too, Vish. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Vish. Thanks. Met at the New Year's party of my vegetarian friend. 
I said I was studying English I told you I was in a band I asked what the band was called I said it's called The Burning Hell I said I've never heard of you I said that's probably just as well Just to make conversation I told you about a dream I had When Jean Baudrillard was rapping with public enemies shouting Don't believe the hype are real With Flava Flav and Chuck D And I said I think we might have a lot in common then Possibly because I'm also a musician And also a student of hip-hoposophy You mentioned you used to play the clarinet in high school In the early years of the millennium when you were young And you said you're hired, the pay is negligible And the tour starts next month You asked what I was working on I said I'm writing an album of love songs I laughed and said love songs are dumb I said yeah, wait till you hear these ones Pass the wine, fuck the government, I love you. Three statements overheard at once in the crowded room. But I could not be sure which one had come from you. So I passed you the wine and said, yes, fuck the government, I love you too. My vegetarian friend was playing the hits of Will Smith And we got jiggy with it there on the dance floor The living room dance floor, that's, that's where, where it happened. happened You stole my heart, I stole a kiss We stole someone else's gin by accident At some point we got cornered by an amateur poet neither of us knew Either he had no one else to talk to or couldn't pick up on simple social cues Step by step we backed away until we backed up all the way into the bathroom together We told the poet that we always go together Cause that's what happens when you've been dating forever We stayed in there for ages hoping the amateur poet would go It was awkward, we came out and found and discovered someone else to bother And suddenly it was midnight and old anxiety time Countdowns and gratuitous public making out And we started shouting Cause everyone else was shouting And isn't it fun to shout?
There you have it, brand new music by The Burning Hell that was Fuck the Government, I Love You, from the new album, Public Library. Thanks to Matthias and Ariel for being on the program. Always fun. Always fun to talk to those two. Just a reminder, uh, we, we were talking there about Lon Yavanya in St. John's, Newfoundland. I'll be doing a live taping at the Lon Yavanya Festival on May 6th at the Rocket Room. And I hope you'll come out. I think it's at 8 p.m. It'll be fun. If you're going to Lon Yavanya or you want to go to Newfoundland, hey, you should come see the show. Also, Lon Yavanya is great. You should learn more about it at lonyavanya.com. It's spelled just how it sounds. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. And uh, I'll be hosting. I'll be hosting all uh, throughout the festival as well. So you'll you can just come say hello. If you hear this and you remember, come say hi. I like to say hi to people. It'll be fun. If you want to listen or subscribe or download or do whatever you want with this podcast, well, within reason, don't be weird. Go to iTunes, audioboom.com, vishkana.com. Those are places where the show exists in some form or another. You can also make a flexible monthly donation to the program at uh, patreon.com uh, Creative Control of Vishkana is on Facebook we're on Twitter at Vish Creative and you can listen to a version of the show every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time at CFRU.ca or uh, in the local area at 93.3 FM and I believe the uh, show slot will be going now from noon to 2pm as opposed from noon to 1 so I, I might actually if I can find the time I might take an hour and just spin some records as they used to say back in the day so who knows you might actually hear some some actual music beyond the music people on the show you might hear some good stuff uh, I will be in St. John's Newfoundland but I plan to deploy or at least prepare episodes for deployment before I leave I had a really really great chat with Bob Mayer who's the author of this new book about the replacements it's called Trouble Boys the true story of the replacements i'm hoping to put that out next week and i don't know what the other thing will be but it's going to be great i i'm it's uh, sorry it is great i i just had a good time talking to him I, I can't wait to share that with you and he was a very nice guy so that is one of the plans and well there'll be other plans too so hopefully you will come back and listen to that episode all right i gotta go we'll talk soon goodbye for now catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.